Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Sports Talks Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bassett. And I'm Dr. Catherine Logan. So today we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, so we thought we would dive into some of our most popular questions that we've gotten from some of our listeners and answer those kind of off the fly today. So um, some of the messages we've gotten either to our email or on Instagram or on Twitter, um, we're just going to discuss those and kind of give you our opinions. So as a reminder, you can find us at the Sports Docs Pod on Instagram and the Sports Doc Pod on Twitter. And you can send us a direct message with any questions that you have or any ideas for future topics you think we should cover. Um, you can also email us at the sportsdocspod at gmail.com with any questions and we will cover them in these mini episodes. So without further ado, I'll go to Catherine for our first question. I know you have to do all the hard stuff. Say all like the Twitter <laughs> and the Instagram and the email. I, get stuff. I have it memorized by now. <laughs> Um, thank God for you. So we basically have been getting questions um, and we usually sort of respond to them individually, but we've just decided to make this a segment. So um, the first one I have pulled up that was gonna we we're going to review. Um, so this is from, we're just going to use first names, um, from Jenny. Um, she is in Nashville. And so she wrote in and wanted to know, okay, if I'm having, and she's a physical therapist, if I'm having patients um, after knee surgery with a lot of anterior knee pain, like, what are you seeing other therapists do? What are some tips and tricks um, that, you know, she can do and employ with her own patients to sort of reduce that, make it better? And then also, is that something I have to worry about? So what do you think? Um, I think, I mean, I know what I, we probably have a very similar response, but yeah. uh, what do you think, actually? Yeah, I think this is really uh, a really good question because I think we've covered it a lot, specifically with ACL. So the episode that kind of pops out to me is the one with Candace, where we spent yeah. a lot of time talking about anterior knee pain after ACL. And she actually taught me something that kneeling desensitization that now I tell all my patients about. It used to be, you know, kneeling may hurt permanently after this. And it's like, no, like you can desensitize yourself. You can work on that. And that's what she does uh, partly as a physical therapist. So I guess for me, um, the two big things I really focus on are obviously quad strengthening. So if they're not doing blood flow restriction therapy, even if it's late in the game, I include some blood flow restriction therapy. I think it's really useful to lead to quad gains and address atrophy even late in the game. But the most important part about it being it's under lower stress loads, right? So it's lower loads, lower one rep max. Um, so you're not putting as much stress through that joint that's already inflamed. And then the other thing is um, patellofemoral taping or KT taping. And you and I actually wrote a paper about this when we were residents. I don't know if you remember that. And so I tell patients all about that. They think it's so cool when I show them a paper that my name is on. Um, and, you know, talk about how there's different techniques for KT taping. You know, the exact techniques are a little outside my area of expertise, but our PTs are really well-versed at it. So I definitely write that on the prescription and, and advise that they, they give that a try as well. But I'm really excited to hear what you think because, you know, you're PT trained. So I'm yeah. really curious to hear what, like, tips and tricks you have. I think, you know, a one... I definitely look at like, what is their patella doing? You know, is it maltracking? You know, do they need some assistance with KT tipping? And I would say, even since we wrote that paper, definitely since I wrote, a, I was a PT, like the techniques have really evolved. So I don't even bother to try and say, hey, they should tape it this way or that way. It's just, <laughs> your therapist knows tape a lot it. better than I, <laughs> but it's worth trying. You know, there's really no downside. Um, so that's something that I'll definitely start with. But then I also give them a lot of education about what happens to your knee when it's fatigued versus like when you feel like you have a lot of fuel in the tank. So um, when I see someone at six weeks after surgery, I give them the same sort of spiel, which is basically like, all right, you are about to enter like what I would refer to as the endurance phase. You're going to start to like work on increasing your standing tolerance, your walking tolerance, your all the tolerance for all your daily life. 
and undoubtedly you're going to like overdo it. You're going to do too much. And generally you're going to feel anterior knee pain, achiness, that kind of stuff. And it's generally because your quad got tired. Um, your kneecap's not tracking as well. And then sometimes I also see like people get like adductor pain and they think it's just medial knee pain. Like did I tear my meniscus? Did my meniscus repair fail? Something like that. And it's often like as their quads get tired, their adductors are like trying to take some of the load, but they're not great mm -hmm. at it. So I think that's part of Coming the thing. To like, yeah. Yeah. And I think, so some of it is like, all right, are you finding a balance between your workload and your recovery? So I think if they're getting that sort of anterior knee pain, sometimes they're under recovered. Um, so, you know, is that, does that quad have enough fuel in the tank um, to build that tank? We're going to do BFR, we're going to strengthen, but then also are we sort of overdoing it? And usually the overdoing it is the boring stuff. It's like, I went to a restaurant and I, or a bar and I stood too long. I went to Costco and I stood too long. You know, it's not the, your workouts too hard. It's like all the other, yeah. I don't know. Um, but that's yeah, kind of where I sort of hit it. But then there's also like late stage anterior knee pain, mm -hmm. you know, if they're getting it like eight, nine, 10 months out, then I think we're starting to deal with like, all right, how are we with soft tissue mobility? Like, you know, how are we with our, um, you know, like more of our, just like our functional movement patterns when you're doing a single leg squat, like, do you look like garbage, you know, or do you look okay? <laughs> you know? So I think yeah. it depends on the period of time. I completely agree. I think looking at the whole, uh, the whole kinematic chain is really important. If their hips are weak and their knee is going into dynamic valgus, that's putting stress on the patellofemoral joint. So I think yeah. doing some of those movement analyses that you do in your clinic, yeah. I think is really beneficial because I think that can identify not always or oftentimes it's not the knee. It may yeah. be flat foot, uh, dynamic flat yeah. foot. It may be the hip. It may be the whole sequence. So it definitely could be something above or below, you know, the pathology. Something that it was Jenny, right? that asked yeah. this question. So something that yeah. Jenny asked you is like, is this normal or is this to be expected? And I think that yeah. brings up a really good point that we as physicians need to be counseling our patients that this, I don't want to say normal, but can be expected as part of the recovery, especially yeah. in the setting of ACL. I had a patient the other day who is, she's, she told me as a second opinion, had an ACL done somewhere else. It went, the ACL itself was done well, but developed arthrofibrosis, underwent a lysis and yeah. adhesions, has gotten back some motion, but it's stiff, limited patellar mobility, and has terrible patellofemoral crepitus, right? She tells me she was never told. She was never told to expect yeah. anterior knee pain or anything like that. And she's not the first to say this to me. You know, we need to be telling people it's going to hurt yeah. to kneel. You're going to have some patellofemoral crepitus after yeah. ACL. You have to work on patellar mobilizations um, because when you tell them at the eight and nine month mark, like it's a little too late, right? Mm -hmm. If you tell them to expect it and work on it, then it's less shocking and they have more I don't know, hope or effort or readiness to like work through it with their therapist rather than feeling defeated. So I think that's really important. No, I think it's just like anything, like setting some expectations, like understanding the expected course of recovery. Mm -hmm. And that's like exactly why at that six week visit, I like counsel them and say, you're going to get achy. You're going to have some bad days. Don't freak out. You just have to yeah. like calm solve with PT or just know that you're a little under recovered. But absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, think something you said too about like the overuses, I know I'm sure you tell your patients yeah. this every phase that you advance, something yeah. like you get them out of the brace or you start running progression or you start agility, like they're going to have more pain. Like they, yeah. you know, at the start, they would all call in and be like, did I do something? My, my knee swelled up a little bit. No, just that now you're running and you haven't ran for four yeah. months because we start, I started at three months and yeah. you know, you, you haven't ran for at least the week, month before surgery. So it's a lot, it's a lot of stress on your knee and you need to, you know, expect that and it can be normal and it, it does get better. Yeah. 
I always think like Candace says something to her patients too, where she always talks about like, it's like peeling back an onion, like, you know, every stage more stuff comes out and like you get through it, like you get to the other side, but it's not just like, it always gets better. It just gets different. And then, you know, and then at some point it's better, but you know, it's a long haul. Um, but hopefully we've answered all, um, that question very well for Jenny, but I think that's a really popular one. Um, and then I will also on the YouTube channel, like flag back to that, um, episode with Candace on ACL recovery, because it's still one of our most popular downloaded episodes, a lot of good nuggets in there. Yeah, it's really awesome. I reference it all the time. Uh, I send it to all my patients when they have questions about what the rehab is going to look like and what to expect. So really happy Candace was able to join us on this. Me too. Okay. Do we have time for one more? You want to do one more? Yeah, Yeah, let's do one more. Are you one of the many surgeons who thinks that getting osteochondral allografts is a complex and time-consuming process? Well, you're not alone. But we're excited to tell you that there is a simpler way. At JRF Ortho, they get it. They've heard your concerns and made it their goal to simplify the process. They're not just any company. They are leaders in fresh osteochondral allografts, holding over 60% of the global market share. JRF Ortho is committed to accommodating your needs. Delivering allografts usually around 30 days, and it's all on your terms. You choose your scheduling option, whether it's specifying a surgical date, providing a date range, or just requesting the earliest available allograft. Your preferences are their top priority. And there's more. They offer pre-sutured tendons and meniscus, and ordering is as easy as a few clicks on their user-friendly online ordering system. So why make it complicated when you can make it JRF Ortho easy? Simplify your allograft procurement today. Your journey to seamless osteochondral allograft starts with JRF Ortho. To learn more, visit jrfortho.org. All right, so I'm just pulling it up now. So I think the other question, okay, so um, his name is Gary. He is from Indiana and so also a physical therapist. And he was wondering, he said, yeah. We love our PT audience. Keep on listening and sharing. <laughs> he um, feels like, at least in his area, there's like a lot of conflict and um, sort of divided lines on BFR. Like, when do you do it? Is it like okay to do it early? Do you have to wait six weeks? Like, he's kind of seen a lot of different things out there and kind of want to hear our opinions. So, what do you have to say to Gary? <laughs> <laughs> so, I. I have no hesitancy to use BFR. I think it's a really great modality. I use it in my non-operative patients as well as my surgical patients. And uh, surgery-wise, I honestly, I'm going to follow this up with, I don't know why I do this, but I do a wound check first to make sure it's healing well before I do BFR. And you're just like, why? It's like, well, you know, do you compromise wound healing? I don't think so. It's, you're not really depriving, you're not depriving all the blood flow. You're depriving 80%. You're still maintaining 20%. So I don't really see why that would be an issue, but that's what was listed as a contraindication. So I do it. But I started as early, first off, I do it preoperatively. I should start with that so that patients know what to expect after surgery. And then I started um, after two weeks. Once I've done that check and remove the steri strips um, and everything looks okay, that's when I'll start blood flow restriction therapy. Um, I use it in pretty much all of my knee surgery patients, but especially like my ACLs, MPFLs, TTOs, like the major cartilage, exactly. Because I think it's really important to activate that quad early. Like I used to say, oh, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You get back your motion eventually. And it really matters. Like you get back your motion quickly and your strength quickly, your rehab is 
all easy peasy. But like, if you struggle with that, it really can hold you back from all the other things you want to do. So I'm a big fan of BFR. Um, and I, this might be controversial. I even use it in skeletally mature individuals, because for yeah. me, if I'm going to use a tourniquet for an ACL and a 14 year old and have it up for what the max time is 120 minutes, yeah. I'm usually not going anywhere near that. But if I'm going to do that, why am I not saying that, you know, one to two minutes of blood flow restriction therapy is going to compromise their growth plates? I just, I don't see that rationale. Yeah. What are your totally thoughts? Agree. Yeah, same. You know, I would say even when you think about the wound kind of healing thing, a lot of times people in those first two weeks can't tolerate BFR anyway, just because they're so yeah. like overwhelmed by all the initial stuff. And yeah. they're just trying to get their head around like, can I do, how do I do extension flexion? Like all the basic sort of stuff. But if like a patient came in and said, oh, was I supposed to do it? We did it post-op day three. Are you got, are you upset? I'd be like, no, you know, like, yeah. you know, I, I've never read anything that definitively says like that's going to give us wound issues, but I totally get why theoretically we're sort of like, okay, a little caution there and make sure it, it's wound, you know, it's healing well. But I have to say, I can't say I've seen many people who could tolerate it in the first two weeks. <laughs> so that's true. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's probably no big deal. Um, but yeah, big fan. I can't remember if I've told you this before, but um, we've talked about this on the podcast before that I've operated on um, my nieces for their ACLs. And that was like their Christmas present. It was like, hey, I just, you know, Aunt Catherine bought, bought you like a BFR unit. <laughs> um, because I just wanted them to be doing it. And yeah. um, I'll brag on Peyton, who is like... Uh, She's almost, well, she's like a year and nine months out or whatever. Um, and she is now like back doing college, like triathlon and stuff. And it's just like crushing it. And I look at her legs and they're so beefy. Um, yeah. like she did an awesome job. Like she's so lean and fit and, um, she's got great, you know, leg strength. So I attribute a lot of that to the BFR training for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I think it's really important. Have you tried it yourself? Totally. I, so we own a unit. Um, oh, awesome. so I have it like, so in our like home gym, we have it. Um, so part of it was like, all right, if I'm making my nieces do this, like I need to sort of like do this. Yeah. And it is hard. It's really, it really hard. So hard. Yeah. I was so surprised. And that's kind of a big plus of doing it pre-op is that people know yeah. what to expect post-op. It's not yeah. that it's hard because they're post-op and their quad is inhibited. It's yeah. hard in general. And, you know, it also makes me sympathize for my patients. Like when I yeah. did, I initially, I did both the leg and the upper extremity, but even like yeah. the biceps BFR, yeah. I was just like, okay, I'm done. That's I'm hearing what you're saying and I, I get it now, but I, I don't yeah. have to do it anymore, but it's really challenging, but yeah. you definitely see the benefit of it. So I think it's yeah, really great. Sure. Especially cartilage, like when we're doing, you know, when they're, you know, just depending on the protocol, if they're not fully weight bearing, uh, I think it's just a great way to hypertrophy. So yeah, yeah, I love it. So keep doing it. I don't know. Um, it's new. And I think anytime something new, you know, it's hard to um, integrate that into a new community. Even when I came to Denver, like I felt like it was a little spotty. And then just over the last, you know, six, seven years, like you just see it populating a lot more around um, clinics. So I think part of that is just like, you know, making sure whoever is implementing it has great training and that you're actually using, you know, safe uh, technology. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Absolutely. not 
Yeah. We did a whole episode. We should actually link it here yeah. with Eddie Chang on That's BFR, right. like a yeah. whole two-parter, which I think was really good because we talked about exactly what you just highlighted, which is like making sure it's good equipment, it's standardized. Yeah. So like there's guys you'll see working out of the gym just tie bands to around yeah. their biceps, so like around their thighs. Like that's not blood flow. It is. You're yeah. depriving blood flow, but it's in an uncontrolled manner. Like it needs to be based on blood pressure and how much you're trying to occlude. And it can be dangerous if not done correctly. So I think that's really important. Definitely making sure it's done correctly and under the guidance of a physical therapist. But yeah, I think it's really beneficial, yeah. especially for the non-weight-bearing conditions that you mentioned, like cartilage or tibial tuberous osteotomies. I think that's really beneficial. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so hopefully, you know, everybody got a lot out of this episode and, um, I hope people write in more and we'll try and address your questions, um, or find someone who knows the answer if we don't know the answer. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. Any other thoughts? No, I think that's great. Yeah. I, and I like these questions, so we should definitely do more of these. <laughs> hey there, fellow surgeons. It's Dr. Ashley Bassett. And Dr. Catherine Logan. We're thrilled to share what we think is the next frontier in orthopedics with you. Absolutely. You know, in our sports medicine practice, we're always looking for innovative ways to enhance our patient's recovery journey. That's right. And that's why we're excited to talk about Accelerated Recovery, or XR for short. It's a perioperative recovery supplement that's been a game changer for us. XR is surgeon formulated with clinically researched ingredients at optimal effective doses. It's designed to support wound healing, prevent muscle loss, and speed up return to functional recovery. Totally, Ashley. And that's where XR comes in. At my clinic, we've implemented the XR nutritional optimization recommendations as part of our standard of care for patients, and the results have been really exciting. Absolutely. I recognize that our patient's nutritional status has become an increasingly recognized risk factor for surgery. Malnourished patients face risks like delayed wound healing and infections. Just recently, I had a high-level athlete I operated on who went through a three-week XR recovery program. The feedback was really exciting. He had faster healing, minimal muscle loss, and overall a smoother recovery process. And I had a similar experience. The ease of implementation and the positive impact on patient outcomes have been really motivating to continue to study. And I tried it too. XR is a cranberry lychee drink mix. It's sugar-free and vegan, and it's safe for anyone over 12 years old. So fellow surgeons and healthcare providers, if you're looking to elevate your patient's recovery journey, consider XR. Let's embrace the future of targeted nutritional supplementation together. Visit xrscience.org or xrscience.org to learn more and join us in revolutionizing perioperative care. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for this mini episode of the Sports Docs. We hope you enjoyed this kind of off-the-cuff discussion Catherine and I had answering some of the questions that you sent in. Please send us more questions. We really like doing this and we definitely want to know what you as the listeners want to know more about. So please send us your questions. You can DM us on Twitter and Instagram. You can also email us at our Gmail, which is the sportsdocspod at gmail.com. You can also find us on YouTube as well too and comment and subscribe there. So we love your feedback. Reach out to us, any of the platforms. And and we'll see you later. Yeah. Take care. Bye.